This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to another episode of the Hepatology Knowledge into Practice podcast series, in which we discuss the latest evidence in hepatology with leading experts in the field. In this first series, we're exploring non-alcoholic steatohepatitis or NASH, and in this episode, we'll focus on treating NASH where it's identified. To start, we'll review the current treatment landscape for NASH, and then we'll be joined by Professor Philip Newsom, who's Professor of Experimental Hepatology and Director of the Centre for Liver and Gastrointestinal Research at the University of Birmingham in the UK. You can find Professor Newsom's disclosures and all the references discussed today in the episode notes. This episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. And the episode is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. So to claim your credits, go to diabetes.knowledgeinterpractice.com to complete a pre- and post-activity assessment. As we discussed in previous episodes, NASH arises when steatosis causes cellular ballooning, inflammation and cellular damage. When accompanied with hepatocellular injury, NASH can lead to progressive liver fibrosis, cirrhosis, hepatocellular carcinoma and increased risk of cardiovascular events. In light of the high prevalence of NASH, the associated morbidity and the growing burden of end-stage liver disease, there's an unmet medical need for therapies that will reverse NASH and prevent its recurrence after successful treatment. The goal of treatment for NASH is to prevent progression to cirrhosis and reduce the need for liver transplant and ultimately improve survival. Lifestyle changes including diet, exercise and weight loss have been advocated to treat patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or NAFLD. Studies have shown that weight loss of at least 7-10% can lead to improvements of biochemical and histological features of NASH. In a cohort study with a one-year follow-up conducted by Lasey and colleagues, bariatric surgery-associated weight loss cleared NASH in 85% of patients and improved fibrosis in 34%. However, as we know well, weight loss is difficult to achieve and even harder to sustain. According to a review by Qureshi and Neusch van der Tetri, NASH warrants consideration for pharmacotherapy when lifestyle modifications are not achieved and sustained. In the setting of comorbid type 2 diabetes, some antihyperglycemic agents with weight loss benefits may be beneficial to support with weight loss, but to date there are no approved pharmacotherapies specifically for the treatment of NASH. On top of management focused on lifestyle interventions to promote weight loss and treatment of coexisting conditions, insulin sensitizing agents such as the thiazolidin dione, pioglitazone, and vitamin E may be considered as possible treatment options. The American Association for the Study of Liver Diseases, or AASLD, recommends the use of vitamin E in biopsy proven NASH patients without diabetes or pioglitazone in patients with and without type 2 diabetes. In contrast, the European Association for the Study of the Liver, or EASL, has no firm recommendations for the use of pioglitazone or vitamin E. Instead, EASL suggests that pharmacotherapy should be reserved for patients with NASH fibrosis of stage F2 and higher, or NASH with high risk for disease progression, such as in type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, or elevated alanine aminotransferase, or ALT. In a post-hoc analysis of a randomised trial performed by Brill and colleagues, statins were found to be safe in patients with biopsy-proven NASH and pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes. 
the authors wrote that these are timely findings that call for a change in current practice as patients with NASH have the highest cardiovascular risk, but dyslipidemia remains often untreated. In patients with cardiovascular indications, both AASLD and EASL suggest that statins can be safely used in patients with NASH and compensated cirrhosis. Multiple investigational drugs with wide-ranging mechanisms of action show promise in modifying NASH and fibrosis progression. These drugs are targeted at most components of the pathophysiology of NASH, from modulating energy intake to increasing extrahepatic energy expenditure, diminishing the burden of fatty acids trafficking through the liver, and reducing the inflammatory and pro-fibrotic effects of lipotoxic injury in the liver. Presently, the drugs in phase 3 clinical trials include a betacolic acid, a pharnosoid X receptor agonist, resmeterom, a selective thyroid hormone receptor beta agonist, arachidyl amidocolonoic acid, or aramcol, a synthetic fatty acid bile acid conjugate inhibitor of the SCD1 enzyme, lanifibrinor, a first-in-class panperoxazone proliferator-activated receptor, or PPAR agonist, and semaglutide, a glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1 receptor agonist. So what does this mean for the future of treatment for NASH? Today we're joined by Philip Newsom, who's Professor of Experimental Hepatology and Director of the Centre for Liver and Gastrointestinal Research at the University of Birmingham in the UK. His disclosures are available in the episode notes, where you can also find links to the references discussed today. So we now have a better understanding of the pathogenesis of NASH, and it's provided a framework for identifying potential targets for therapy. Why are there so many different targets and drugs currently being investigated for NASH? The thing about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is that there's a, a range of different pathways that are activated and aberrant during the disease course. And, and for that reason, therefore, there's a number of different ways that, that the condition can be targeted. I think fundamentally, though, I think when you're considering treatments for NAFL, you need to start with treatments that address the underlying cause, which is targeting obesity and targeting insulin resistance. So there's a number of different therapies which can obviously do that. I think as you start to look to therapies that you, know, you could add in on top of that, that's where the multiple different pathways come into play because you can target different ways of handling lipids. You can handle, you can target liver fibrosis. You can target um, apoptosis. So that's probably why there are so many different measures. But ultimately, I think you do have to start with treating the underlying causes first. And of those drugs currently being investigated, what are some of the most promising in development? I think the most promising drugs in terms of the, the, the way they work, but also the data would be drugs that target weight and insulin resistance. So I think they're the sort of drugs are either monotherapies or combination therapies, looking at um, glucagon like peptide one analogs, which we know affect satiety and reduce uh, weight as well as insulin sensitivity. We've also seen some really nice combinations. We combine uh, GLP-1 with um, glucagon um, agents such as um, cotagetide, and also looking at um, other combinations with GLP-1 and GIP, such as tesatapide. So I think those to me are the front runners because of their ability to make major impacts on weight and insulin sensitivity. So far, we don't have any therapies indicated specifically for NASH. What are the challenges of conducting clinical trials in NASH historically? 
I think there are several reasons why it's been difficult to conduct clinical trials in, in patients with NASH. I think the first one is that the, the regulatory bar is set incredibly high. If you look at what you need to get a licensed product, you need to conduct a large clinical trial where you have upwards of a thousand patients who have liver biopsies at the beginning and halfway through, so 18 to 24 months. And if, if they meet that standard, they get an interim approval, uh, but it's not even a given that they'll be given that interim approval. And they then need to go on to develop, to, to demonstrate differences in hard clinical endpoints, which can take five, six, seven, or even eight years. So I think the regulatory bar is incredibly high. It's higher than has ever been seen before for liver disease. The second reason is that I think that if you're not targeting the main upstream causes of NASH, then I think it's unlikely that you'll see a significant signal with, with agents which target particular pathways. I just think that there's so many things going on here that targeting an individual pathway that's downstream of the problem is unlikely to have an effect unless you're using it in conjunction with something which affects weight or insulin sensitivity. So do you think that targeting what you call downstream pathways is the likely explanation for the relatively low response rates that we've seen so far with these agents that are being investigated? Yes, I think I think one of the reasons why we've seen you know, modest differences is that there's a pleiotropy of different mechanisms and therefore targeting one downstream one, you know, you may end up with having an element of redundancy in the system where the other mechanisms then kick in. I think the second reason is that we know that the liver biopsy, which is the principal tool for readout, is, is, is challenging. We know that, that there's huge variation in the interpretation and reporting of biopsies, which in turn can markedly reduce the power of any clinical trial. So we have an imperfect reporting tool in essence. So given the overlap between type 2 diabetes and NASH, would GLP-1 receptor agonists or SGLT2 inhibitors play a role in the management of these patients to reduce their high cardiovascular risk, as well as to support weight loss? Yes, yeah, so we know that patients with, with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and NASH have an increased risk of dying from vascular disorders as well as non-liver cancer. And that's obviously linked to the, the metabolic factors of obesity and other, and other you know, diabetes. So in that respect, um, using agents which, which we know have a demonstrable positive effect on cardiovascular outcomes, it will be an additional benefit if these drugs are licensed for that indication. So we know, for example, that GLP-1 analogs have been studied in large cardiovascular endpoint studies and shown to be A, non-inferior and B, superior. So you know, very positive news for our patients. And how do you see the future of treatment for NASH looking in the years to come? Can we expect to see a change in outcomes? I think treatment in the future will be starting with agents which have a big effect on weight and insulin sensitivity, because we know that that A, addresses the upstream cause, but B, also has beneficial effects on the other elements which affect our patients, namely issues around diabetes and the complications of, of the metabolic syndrome. I think subsequently we will be adding in single pathway agents um, for patients that have a, a, a substandard or un unsatisfactory response. And it may well be that as we develop potent antifibrotic therapies, we can think about those agents being used in a pulsed manner to achieve a reduction in liver fibrosis. In terms of the outcomes that we'll measure, I think we'll be stuck with liver biopsy for the next couple of years, but then hopefully we can segue onto either non-invasive markers as well as clinical endpoints. 
And finally, what are your take home messages, both for hepatologists and for endocrinologists who are seeing people with type 2 diabetes who might also have NASH? So we know that patients with type 2 diabetes have an increased risk of having NASH. So I think it's being aware of that. I think that uh, the guidance on screening for patients with diabetes has been quite mixed, you know, uh, over the globe, you know, with different associations having different recommendations. The reality is that most of these patients will have had liver bloods checked, which are abnormal. Uh, and I think, therefore, then that there is a responsibility for, for the you know, healthcare professionals to investigate why they're abnormal and what the degree of fibrosis is. So I think the take home message is that fatty liver disease is common in patients with type 2 diabetes. And there are really simple tools to determine whether these patients have got evidence of significant liver fibrosis. And it's those patients to then target for further investigation. I think when, when, we, when it comes to patients with NAFL, there's a lot of data suggesting that it's a very common condition, that one in three, one in four of the population is affected by that. And I think that's um, potentially unhelpful in some levels because for patients who've got simple steatosis or very mild fibrosis, the reality is that they don't have a liver disease in the way we think of diseases. And I think it, it, it perhaps has patients worrying unnecessarily and it also contributes to, I think, concerns that payers have around the impact of introducing new therapies. And therefore, I think it's important that we focus in on those patients that have got evidence of advanced fibrosis, because we know that those are individuals that are more likely to progress to advanced liver disease, cirrhosis, and the clinical complications. So it's about making sure that we focus our attention on not just patients with NAFLD and NASH, but those with advanced fibrosis using the very many tools that we have now to identify and treat those individuals. This brings us to the end of today's episode. In summary, the mainstay of treatment for NASH is weight loss through lifestyle interventions, currently focused on healthy eating habits and physical activity. With new pharmacological agents in advanced stages of development, treatment options of this disease will likely expand. This is the last episode in this NASH mini-series, but do subscribe to receive further episodes in our next series. To claim CME credit for this podcast and to find other free resources, go to our website, diabetes.knowledgeandpractice.com.